Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. I am recording this this Thursday before it comes out, and today is September 10th, which is also National Suicide Prevention Day. So I wanted to start this episode by bringing some light to that and taking a moment just for everyone who has either survived suicide or has survived losing a loved one to suicide. I have been really open about my struggles with suicidal ideation on the podcast. So I recorded an episode a year ago today for Suicide Prevention Day. And that episode has since been taken down because although I go into a lot of detail on how you can support people, it's also very triggering for people who are struggling. And that's one of the hard things about supporting people who are struggling with their mental health. You want to be there to support them and bring light to that, but also not trigger them. And even still today, whenever I hear the word suicide or hear people talking about that, it brings up that emotional tug like deep in your soul and some discomfort and some sadness and shame. And I don't want that to be what this platform is for listeners. And so I wanted to bring some light to that at the beginning and kind of explain to you why this week we're doing a Q&A to support you guys, how you've reached out um, and asked for support and not make that the whole focus because I do want this podcast to be focused on how you can bring change to your life and not focusing on necessarily the negatives or the diagnoses or all of those things that can bring a lot of a lot of sadness and kind of depression to people's lives if that makes sense so now doing my little intro that I do every week where I tell you guys what's going on in my life and all that kind of stuff preface the episode normally this is before the interview so it makes more sense but we're gonna roll with it so I'm actually taking my ACT on Saturday which, if you follow me on Instagram, you know this has been quite a journey because my ACT has been canceled three times. I'm getting very nervous about whether I'll be able to submit a score to colleges. And I know some schools say they aren't looking at it. Some, almost all are saying they're not requiring it. But for me, I'm someone who's been to three different high schools. And so I'm lacking that consistency because I've been to so many different schools. And so having a good score really would help my application. And I've also been studying for the ACT for probably two, two and a half years now. I started in sophomore year, which is crazy. But I mean, I was at a therapeutic boarding school with not much to do. And so I was like, why not start diving into this? And I'm really proud of how far I've come on practice tests. And I'll keep you guys posted on how the test goes. But I'm, I'm very nervous, but I'm also excited and Hopefully it will go well and I can kind of close this chapter of my life for a bit. The other thing that's come up today also is we were just sitting at dinner and if you guys are following me on Instagram or the podcast on Instagram, you're very, very, very familiar with my puppies. We have Piper and Posey. Piper is 10 months old now and Posey is about five, almost six in November and they are my pride and joy. I love them more than life itself. They snuggle with me every night. They're so cute. They're English cream retrievers. They're little white fluffy bundles of joy. And I love them with my whole heart. It was really tough to be away from Posey when I was at boarding school. And I've become really attached to Piper, both when we got her as a puppy six months ago. Now, maybe maybe more than that, seven, eight, something like that. I've been really attached to her. I loved when she was a puppy. I was always holding and cuddling her. They sleep with me every night. And especially during quarantine, 
we don't really go anywhere without them. <laughs> I've always joked that I'm not an animal person. I don't like animals except for my dogs and whatever, but I, I have such a soft spot for them and they just bring me so much joy. So anyways, we were at dinner and Paper has this little bump on her arm. And so we took her to the vet earlier this week and they did a little, they tested the, tested the fluid, whatever it was. And they were like, we think it's just a benign tumor or something like that. I don't have two, like a benign mass. And so my mom was like, okay, just test it just in case, test the cells. We want to be a hundred percent sure. And so they ran the test. They looked at the cells and they called us up today and they called my mom and they said, we're, I'm, I don't even know what to say to you. I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked. And they said it's puppy, not puppy, it's not called puppy cancer, but they said it is cancerous and that it will spread and that it won't go away on its own. And they, they don't know what stage it is, what's going to happen. And so she's getting surgery on the 25th and we're going to do everything we can to kind of see what we can do to help her. But it was really shocking. Like I wasn't expecting it at all. So it's very soon to jump to conclusions and get really upset about it. But it was just, it was shocking. It was really, really surprising to me and it made me really, really sad. So I'll keep you posted on where that goes. But yeah, I I still wanted to record this episode, even though we just got that news because podcasting brings me so much joy and talking to you guys, even though like sitting here, it's funny because you're hearing me through the phone or through your computer, headphones, whatever it is. Right now, I'm just talking into an empty room. So, but I feel really connected to you guys. And yeah, I know there's a lot of you who love seeing the dogs on Instagram. And I wanted to share that with you. And I wanted to record this episode because it brings such a sense of consistency and it it's soothing. So without further ado, after that long introduction... Today we're doing a Q&A. And so I asked you guys on Instagram what questions you had. I got a boatload of questions, so I'll answer for you. We have a mix of everything pretty much. And so, yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear these. And as always, if you ever have a question you want to ask me, you can go to the link on my website. You can also DM me on Instagram, leave a comment on one of my posts, whatever it is. And most of the time, I will answer it. Okay, so the first question, how has hearing about other people's stories impacted your own life? I loved this question. I have talked about it before, but constantly having conversations with people about how they turn their lives lives around, what brings them joy, how they maintain their mental health, how they keep that consistency is so inspiring. It's like, it's kind of like school, but it's so much more fun because you're constantly learning. You're constantly learning new things, hearing from other people. And like, I can't help but try a lot of these items, like making your morning into a ritual, changing the shift in your mind between motivation and commitment. And so all these practicing self-care, all these little tips and tricks that I've heard from people, like you start to implement them um, because they've helped so much in their life. So hearing other people's stories has just brought me so much inspiration, so much joy when you hear how far they've come, so much awe and inspiration, just because people are so strong. I think we forget that a lot of the time, how persistent and and how resilient humans are how much they can go through and still thrive and bring so much joy into this world and so hearing other people's stories not only brings me so much inspiration but it also has helped my mental health because I'm constantly trying to grow and improve trying things other people enjoy and maintaining my own mental health and all of that kind of stuff so all in all hearing other people's stories has just been has such a positive effect on my life The next question is, it takes a lot of courage to share publicly. What inspired you to do so? P.S. So thankful you do share. I love listening and learning. Okay, 
So I share my story, my mental health story, my mental health journey publicly every week to all of you guys. And as crazy as it sounds, I've been doing this for now over a year and I haven't really gotten a lot of bad feedback. Whenever I've watched, this sounds like crazy, but not crazy, it sounds stupid, but whenever I've watched like YouTubers, they talk a lot about hate comments and dealing with that. And I'm really lucky that I haven't really received a lot of that. My podcast was received relatively well to my my community with friends and family members when I did start sharing it. And it's been received really well from all of you. And so I'm so grateful for that. Like it's the most uplifting and wonderful and positive community I could have asked for. So yeah, so as far as courage, like I started talking into the microphone to no one and now I look back and I'm like, I should not have said that or I should not have shared that. That's oversharing Sadie. But it wasn't, it really didn't take a lot of thought to start talking because no one was listening. And if someone was listening, it was because I begged them to. So it wasn't as much courage off the bat because I didn't share with people until I felt ready to. As far as what inspired me to share, I've talked about this a couple times, but I was someone who so, so, so firmly believed that I would never be happy. I didn't think that I would ever get past depression. I literally thought until the day I died, whether that was before I reached 18 or when I was 100 years old, every single day I would wake up with crippling depression and horrible anxiety and I would hate my life from the bottom of my soul. That was how I thought I would live my life. And at first I thought that was how everyone functioned. And then I learned that wasn't the case. And I could understand that other people's lives weren't that sad and weren't that miserable, but I just didn't think it was in the cards for me. I really, really, really did think that my life would just be depressing and sad forever. And so that that belief was like in my core. Like I would have, I don't even know how to explain to you guys how firmly I believe that. I would have fought anyone with that belief saying that it won't change. I went to the best doctors in the world and looked at them and said, this isn't going to work. Why is this going to be different? I don't, I'm, I'm meant to be like this. So when I started working on my mental health and, and improving, even if I didn't see it immediately, small changes started to happen. I was able to regulate my sleep. I started eating balanced. I had a relationship with my parents. I had fulfilling friendships. And I had that consistency of not feeling depressed for weeks, months at a time, etc. And so about a year and a half after I was in treatment, I had this moment where I realized that, hey, this has happened. Everyone always told me my life would be different and that it could be different. And holy shit, it is different. I, I love life and I have things I look forward to. And it's not that, that world of depression that I used to know. And so it was kind of a shock at first, honestly. I was like, holy crap, like what's happening? Like I've made it, I'm here. Like I've gotten to this point that I never thought I'd be at. But because again, that initial belief was so firm and so cemented in my soul, I really, really, really did want to speak to all the other teenagers and people struggling that had the same belief as me. Because I wasn't someone who was like, I want this to go away. I want to get better. Of course I did, but I didn't think it was possible. And so because I was at the worst of the worst and had the lowest of the lows and a horrible mental health journey, um, as far as it goes for a teenager, I had to share it and say, no matter where you're at, whether it was super severe or just having a couple bad days a week and week and you want to change that it can be different and I'm proof that it can be different and I want to help you have your life be different so that was kind of what inspired me to start sharing my story okay next question what's your favorite way to take a break and how do you deal with anxiety school and quarantine all at the same time okay amazing questions so first of all taking a break I take a lot of recharging I guess 
That sounds okay. A lot of my recharging and breaks of sorts come with my routine. And so I've talked about this probably in my sleep episode, but not in much depth. But when I get up in the morning, I get up, I take the dogs out, I make my coffee, I have breakfast, I relax, I listen to a podcast while I'm getting ready. If I'm really feeling it, I'll actually do my hair and makeup. Most of the time we go for the nice sweatpants look, but it depends on the day. And so those little moments that I've built into my day, they're relaxing. They recharge me. They bring me a lot of joy. At lunch, I like to make myself lunch, even if it's just like a sandwich. Like I make some a food that I really do enjoy and look forward to eating. At night, I read before I go to bed. I watch a bit of a TV show at some point during the day. My like skincare and shower routine, that is really calming and recharging for me. So all of these things I built into a daily basis and that's how I take those breaks. So my favorite way is to build different rituals into my day that recharge me and really, really help with my self-care. Another thing that we are lacking kind of recently because of quarantine, but I think is just as important as far as taking a break is taking kind of like a mental vacation. So we can get really, or I don't wanna say we, I'm gonna speak for myself. I can get super wrapped up in school and work and all of these projects I'm doing. And it's really hard for me to separate those, especially now during quarantine, because we're on a loop. We don't really leave the house that much. So I'm constantly working and doing things and I I don't get that time to mentally recharge. And so the most like mental break and refresh that I've ever felt is when we'll go on a vacation, even if it's just like we drive somewhere for the day or whatever it is when you put your phone down you put those things away and you let go of that stress and anxiety associated with those things and you just put it away until you get back home like and if you can even eliminate technology like honestly I've never felt better like it's so relaxing and so recharging and you go back into your routine and your life feeling like anything can come at you and you can handle it so the rituals and routines in my daily life, and then when possible, taking like a weekend off or a day off just to recharge. And then as far as dealing with anxiety, school, and quarantine all at the same time, this is a tough question because if I were to cope ahead a year ago with how I would deal with school and anxiety, I wouldn't have been prepared to be living at home all the time and not seeing friends and all of that. And so we're all having to adapt and adjust to this new world that we're suddenly living in. So first with anxiety, I do the things that will decrease my emotional vulnerability. I make sure I have enough sleep at night. I make sure I'm eating balanced. I make sure I take my meds. I do all these things to decrease my susceptibility to feeling anxiety. I have been having more anxiety recently around school and doing like staying focused during classes. Like that's been something that's super difficult for me. And so with that, I've been practicing a lot of deep breathing and meditation and kind of radical acceptance. And I do really want to teach that skill in this episode. And so radical acceptance is a DBT skill. And if there's one DBT skill that you can learn and take away, the please skill is a favorite, but this radical acceptance skill will change your life. So radical acceptance is a skill that you use when something happens in your life that you don't have a lot of control over. Whether you are experiencing depression, maybe you've just um, had a loss, maybe you just didn't get a promotion you wanted, your coffee order gets messed up, someone's rude to you, literally anything, if it's not in your control. And you can also practice radical acceptance on things that are in your control that you can't expend any more extensive energy on, if that makes sense. Like if it's no longer serving you to keep investing yourself in something, then you can practice radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is 125% completely accepting something. And that means that you let it fade away from your brain. You say, I'm accepting that this is the outcome and I'm going to stop feeling attachment towards this. 
And that doesn't mean that you keep looking for ways to get around the situation and solve the problem and get people to change their minds. You completely and 100% radically accept that that is the outcome. And so this skill is so powerful because when we hold on to things and when we stay invested, a lot of that time it can cause suffering, especially if you're fighting against something. So when you're able to radically accept things, there's an immense amount of emotional freedom that comes with that acceptance. And so the other part of that is you're accepting, you're saying, okay, this has happened. I'm going to accept that and I'm not going to keep entertaining the idea that I can change it. And then you cope. You figure out what you need to do to be okay with that situation. So you can say, hey, I'm experiencing anxiety. How can I cope with this situation? Deep breathing, meditation, tip skills, whatever it is. So you practice this radical acceptance and then you learn to cope. You work through the situation and the powerfulness of accepting something is that then you can change it. And so when you're fighting against your reality, you're not going to be able to make any changes because you're still in denial. And so the idea of radical acceptance is that you can't change what reality is handed. It's I'm explaining this so badly. I'm so sorry. So when you're fighting against something, when you're not practicing radical acceptance, you'll never be able to make a change because you are in denial. However, when you can radically accept your situation and that this is the situation that you've been handed, then you can make changes in how you are approaching it and coping and move forwards. So radical acceptance brings you emotional freedom in that you're not holding on to attachments that aren't serving you. And you're also able to get out of the headspace of denial and then make changes in you that will help you get towards um, where you want to be. So it's a, it's a thin line to walk when you are practicing radical acceptance and then also working to change. And this is, again, that dialectic of two seemingly opposite things can be true at the same time. But with radical acceptance, what you're doing is you are saying, okay, this is what reality has given to me. This is what life has thrown at me. And I might not like it. I might wish it was different. And I have to accept that this is what's happening and stop fighting and stop being in denial and let go of those attachments that, again, aren't serving you. And then you might make changes with how you're coping and how you're adjusting and how you hope to move forwards. But when you practice that radical acceptance, you're accepting that you can't change the outcome and that you've done everything you can and that you just can move forward. And then in that moving forward, that's when you can make those changes. So regarding the question, circling back again, what's dealing with quarantine? I feel like radical acceptance is an amazing skill for this. If anxiety is thrown at you, quarantine is something we need to drastically radically accept because this is something we couldn't have expected and it's probably something a lot of us don't want and yet it's the reality we're living in and we have to accept it. So that is one skill I've been liking to implement recently and again creating those rituals in my life has also really been helping with anxiety and school so all of that the next question is do you want to specialize in psychology as a career so yes I was always someone that wanted to run away from the field of psychology and psychiatry the second I got out of treatment I couldn't deal with my own emotions I couldn't even face what was going on inside me I couldn't even imagine letting others come to me for support or helping them navigate through that because my own experience was so painful and so bottled up. And so once I started working through that and recently with not even recently, but in the past year doing this podcast, I realized what a passion I have for mental health and helping teenagers and adolescents who are at that low. I've been there and the purpose of this podcast and with what I want to do with my life is help other people not have to get to that spot because it can be depression and anxiety aren't always preventable, but it doesn't have to get that severe. And so 
I absolutely want to major in psychology in college and hopefully become a clinical psychologist. That's my that's my dream. And I think it would be really, really cool to work in like an inpatient setting and work with kids who really are in acute situations and really, really, really severely struggling and help them get out of that low because that was what was so life-changing for me. Okay, so the next question is, why did you choose podcasting as the medium to share your mental health story? So podcasting, although it is something that a lot of people dabble in and there are millions of podcasts out there, it's not a super crowded space, if that makes sense. You don't see a lot of teenagers doing podcasts. It's still a newer thing that people are getting into. And I'm sure some people drastically disagree with that because there are a lot of podcasts out there. But as far as how I see teenagers sharing their stories, there's not a lot of kids sitting in their bedroom um, recording a podcast. You see them doing blogs, you see them doing YouTube videos, TikToks, Instagram, blogging, all of that kind of stuff. But podcasting is still somewhere where there's not as much centered. It's not as it's not as common. And so I really liked that. It was also something totally foreign to me. I'd never recorded a podcast. I'd never share my story verbally, if that makes sense. And so it was just really, really fun to learn a completely new skill and dive into that. And that that was something that brought me a lot of joy. Again, that's another DBT skill called building mastery. When we build mastery, that improves our mental health because when we get to those lows, those thoughts of I have never done anything, I'm worthless, like I... I haven't done anything with my life. You've built mastery over these things. That's something. You are um, competent in these skills. So that's been a really um, big part of why podcasting has helped my mental health. But I chose podcasting partially because my dad was like, Sadie, you got to do this. Um, And I don't even know where he got the idea of it being a podcast. But I was like, okay, I'll try it. And it's different. It's something that not a lot of people are doing. So that's why I did that. Next question is, do you think you'll stick with podcasting when in college? So I was really excited to get this question. Absolutely. 100%. I will bring you through my whole college journey as soon as I figure out where I'm going to college. I'll bring you through the whole moving process, what it's like meeting new people, being away from home. Once I have gone through the whole admissions podcast, I will dedicate an entire episode to what that was like for my mental health, tips, tricks, everything like that. But yes, I do plan to do my podcast in college. And I'm really excited because up until this point with my podcast, I've had to be pretty mindful about what I say. Because when you're going into college, for better or worse, college admissions officers will be looking at your social media. They'll be checking what what you're putting out into the world. Does it support their values? And so you want to have somewhat of a filter. And I've talked about this before when you share your mental health story, because mental health at this point in our society can be a turnoff to many people. They can see you as a risk or not a good fit because of your mental health. Maybe you, they don't think you'll be able to keep up academically or you won't be reliable. And so that's something really unfortunate is that that's sometimes how people approach mental health. And so up until this point, I haven't been as extremely open about certain things with my mental health as far as graphics, if that makes sense. And so I'm really excited because after that day that I've committed to a college, I get to be so much more open about what I'm saying and that risk about what college admissions officers will think that can go out the window. And so I'm really excited for that day. But I, yes, absolutely plan to continue podcasting in college. It's going to be so much more real, so much more just like, I don't know. I And I, it sounds weird to say this right now, what I just said when I'm listening to myself, 
because this podcast is the most real and vulnerable thing I have in my life right now. I share almost everything with you guys and I have these crazy conversations with people that come on the show. And so it's not that I haven't been open about my mental health, but there's no filter about the graphics or talking about my past and being worried that people will see me as not reliable or a risk. And so that's what I mean by that. But I plan to continue podcasting and share everything with you about that journey. So I'm very excited. Next one is where do you see your podcast going? So I have just been diving into all things podcasting since quarantine started. I am putting so much more work and effort into my website and Instagram and having guests on the show. And so my goal for the podcast is to get signed to a network. I want to be able to work with other podcasters and have that those resources for interviews to lean on and learn more about the industry. Because again, I'm a teenager. I don't have much experience with being in this digital space yet. And so I've been learning by doing. But I really do want to be able to work with other experts in the podcasting industry. So my goal is for my podcast to be signed by a network and then also to have more more people that you guys look up to and know on the podcast because the amazing thing about mental health is that we all have it a lot of the time things like depression and anxiety are really just a magnification of our emotional experiences and i want you guys to know that you're not alone in those experiences and we're the only ones that know what it feels like because emotions are subjective, but we all feel them similarly. And so I want to have people on the show that you guys look up to and kind of break down that barrier and show that people, we're all the same. There's a lot of similarities between us. We all experience suffering and you're, and you're not alone in that. So that's my goal is to have more people you guys look up to on the show and then get signed by a network. Next one is how has your senior year been thus far? So I am a senior this year, if you guys didn't already know. I started my senior year. We have not been to actual school yet. And so it's been interesting to say the least. It's a little bit crazy to me that again, I'm actually already in senior year and at school and we're doing it completely on Zoom. And so that has been an interesting process. A little bit stressful to say the least. It's hard to stay motivated when you're at home, when you're not going to in school every day. No one's really enforcing as strongly assignments and all of that kind of stuff, tests. It's difficult for sure. But that being said, I'm happy with how my senior year is going so far. I'm taking AP Psych, AP Calc, AB, Biotechnology, AP Lit, and Government. I think those are all my classes. But I really like my classes so far. Calculus has been hard, like I've mentioned before, but we're getting through it. We're thriving so far. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how my year is going so far. I'm very nervous to go back to school if that happens this year because we've been antisocial for so long. I'm kind of scared about what that's going to be like, if I'm going to be able to adjust, not be overwhelmed, but I'll keep you guys posted on that if we go back to school. And so, yeah, that's kind of how my senior year is going so far, but overall, good. And I'm loving the flexibility with my schedule, being able to have like lunch and sleep in a little bit more. And I've been having more time to dive into the podcast, which I love. Next question, how is the college search going? We're doing a lot of school-related things in college, but college search is going good. I just tonight actually decided where I'm going to early decision to, and I'm not going to share that yet because the biggest advice from any college counselor, actually, from the college counselors that I've seen online and that kind of stuff, they say don't don't share where you're going to call, where you're going to apply because your peers are your competition. And I have mixed feelings about that kind of um, that belief. Because peers are what we lean on for support. We're all going through the same experience and I want to go through that with them. And I don't know. I'm also really scared that if I get rejected from my schools, then everyone's going to know. And there's all that shame. And instead of being like, oh, I actually didn't apply for early decision when I did, like, I don't know. So I'm not going to share it right now. 
only because I haven't submitted my application yet. And I I just want to continue working on that before I tell you guys. But as soon as I submit the application, you will be the first to know what my early decision school was. And then I'll let you know if I get in. I don't think I'm going to get in. <laughs> we'll see. It would be amazing. It would be awesome. But that's what that's what a reach school is for. It's to throw your hat in the ring and best case scenario, get in and Worst case scenario really isn't that bad because there's still other schools out there and there's so many colleges and you'll find a good fit. So college search is going good. <laughs> I got a little bit off topic there, but I have my early decision school. I have a list of colleges. I'm starting to work on my application. I have my first draft of my personal statement, filling out the Common App right now. I really need to be more on top of this. I'm doing things. I'm taking the ACT this weekend. I'm doing great, actually, but there's still things to do. I got to get a better timeline. That's what I need. Doing great on this process, but just got to get a little bit better. I'm literally just talking to myself right now. I love this. So I hope you guys find it entertaining. Or if not, that's totally okay. It's very therapeutic to talk to yourself and just let it all out. I was actually listening to, oh gosh, what's her name? She's the host of the Bitch Bible. Jackie, what's her last name? Jackie Schimmel. So she hosts her podcast um, by herself and I love it. I'm literally obsessed. She has just so many things to talk about. It's so comedic. It's amazing. If you're looking for a morning podcast recommendation, highly recommend. Puts a great start off to your day. You get a laugh. That's my goal is to be able to have that interesting of a conversation with myself. We'll get there someday. We'll get there. But anyways, that as far as how the college search is going. And again, I'll keep you guys totally in the loop on that whole process as more things start happening. Next question, thoughts on going off medication. So I have talked about my journey with medication before. I have been on so many different medications at various points because finding a antidepressant that works for you can be quite a journey. I am actually on the same medication, which was the first one that I ever went on. And between that, I probably tried six. And then we just went back to the first one because I had so many side effects with it upsetting my stomach. I went through this period where for three months straight, I would thought I was going to vomit every single second of the day because my the medications just did not sit well with my stomach. TMI. It's okay, though. <laughs> so thoughts on going off medication. So medication is always something that helps supplement the work you're doing in therapy. There's this amazing book about OCD. It's called Brain Lock, and I'll link it in today's episode notes. But it has this great analogy for medication, and it calls it water wings. Medication is your water wings to help you get off out of that low point and dive into your work therapeutically. If you're just doing medication, you probably won't see the changes you want to in your life because medication is only supposed to help lift you out of that low place. If you're still in a really negative headspace, you're not going to be able to make those changes. The medication won't do all the heavy lifting for you. You definitely have to put the work in, but medication can be helpful with that. As far as medication in general, I think making sure that you are not overly medicated is another important thing. I've had a lot of, I wouldn't say negative experiences, but not positive experiences with sleep meds. There were many points where I was on a whole host of medications and I was literally 13 years old and I was just a really sad kid and I didn't, no one knew how to deal with that. And so it was medication after medication and that didn't necessarily help. So I think that if you're able to get off of medication, that's amazing. That's great. If you are able to maintain your mental health and stability and make those lifestyle changes that um, help keep your depression or anxiety or whatever it is that's at bay. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. At this point, I don't see myself getting off my medication very soon. It took me years to figure out this cocktail that helps me maintain my mental health and not feel extreme depression or OCD or anxiety and, and be stable. So I'm pretty content with what my medication is looking right like right now. And of course, I'm always going to check in with my doctor and see what his opinion is and what he recommends. But at this point, I don't think it makes sense to make any changes because it's working well for me. 
But if you're able to manage your mental health off medication, I am always in support of that. You don't want to add more chemicals to your body if you don't need to. So yeah, for me at this point, going to stay consistent, but always, 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 if you're able to manage things naturally, that is the best way to go about that. The next question is how involved were you in the process of choosing your boarding school slash inpatient programs? So I was in inpatient, like in the hospital a couple times when I was in eighth grade and freshman year. And there's not much decision in that process. You just kind of go to the emergency room and they send you to the nearest psych ward. So that wasn't something you really get a, a whole, whole lot of a role in. They, they tell you what your treatment plan is if you're going to go to an intensive outpatient program, if you're going to work outpatient therapy. And I, my parents did ask me, like, how do you think that went? What do you think? But it wasn't like I was going to be like, I'm not going to therapy. And they'd be like, yep, great. Awesome. Let's do it. Like, I was definitely going to go to therapy, um, but they wanted my input. As far as intensive treatment, when I went to 3 East McLean Hospital, there wasn't really much of a decision in that. I was kind of just told. And my parents, again, they looked for the best program they could and they did all the research and they were very confident with the work that the doctors there could do. And I'm com complete agreement. They literally saved my life. But again, that wasn't something that I chose. Like, I was like, I want to go to this program. It was like, we've done a lot of research. We think this will be the best fit for you. And then boarding school programs, my parents looked at a couple and I would kind of go on the website and look at different ones and hear the rundown and hear the rundown about what the different pros and cons were, what the programs they offered. But my parents were the ones visiting them. I was still living in Boston at the time. And so they were the ones that like, we really think you would like it here or we think this will be a good fit, all of that kind of stuff. But I did have input on, on going to the school in Montana. I did say, I don't even remember what I said. I said, okay, this sounds good. Let's do it. I would like to talk to the people there beforehand, but okay, let's try. So I, had, I did have some input on that. Number 12 is how do you wish you would have, could have transitioned after McLean? So this is so hard because I've spoken about my negative experiences at therapeutic boarding school on the podcast before, but we have no way of knowing what our life would be like if we didn't go through the experiences that we have. I could say, I wish I didn't go to therapeutic boarding school, but I could just as easily be extremely and severely depressed right now and in and out of the hospital again. So I don't know like what my life would look like if I hadn't done that. So I'm a firm believer that I would never go back and change things in my life because they brought me to where I am today and shaped me into the person I am. And I love that person. I do wish I could have gone to a more traditional boarding school. I really wish I could have seen my family a lot more often. I wish that I could have been less isolated for a long time and done more evidence-based therapy. So more dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rather than just kind of more of like a talk therapy approach. But it was really, it was an experience to be in Montana. I met some of the most amazing girls in the whole world and I, I wouldn't change that in a second. And I'm, those relationships are really was what helped my mental health in a big way. So I think if I could do a perfect situation, I think I would have gone to a more traditional boring school that was more strong academically. <laughs> this doesn't exist. Like, be amazing if it did. It just didn't, doesn't. So a more traditional boarding school that was strong academically, I wish that I would have been closer so I could see my parents every other week or something like that. So much more frequently like I had at McLean. I wish it wouldn't have been as long. I wish they would have implemented more evidence-based therapies and been more in communication with the people at McLean. Because when I switched in between programs, it was like, well, we're just going to, like, it didn't matter what I'd done in the past three months. It was just, I was going to do things their way at boarding school and they weren't going to take into account all the other work I'd done. Oh, yeah. So that would be my perfect situation. But again, I wouldn't change anything. So the last question I got was, has treatment, especially your therapeutic boarding school, had any lasting negative effects on you or negative impacts on you? So I did, we did just briefly talk about therapeutic boarding school and I did say it was kind of a negative experience. 
I do remember, this is kind of funny, when I came home for probably like two months, I was giving myself mouth checks when I would take my meds. If you're ever in treatment, you know, you have to like stick your tongue out, say ah to make sure you don't cheek the pills. And I remember doing that. No one else would be in the room. And I literally opened my mouth after I took medicine, <laughs> even though it was like Tylenol. Just <laughs> so that was a funny lasting impact. Academically has been a very, um, a pretty negative experience. Having gone from an extremely lax academic environment to a public school was not an easy adjustment. It was very difficult. I had never studied ever for a test before junior year. And so that was really, really hard. And I have a modge podge of a high school education. I'm missing some classes that I that would have been helpful. I'll be able to graduate on time, but like pre-calculus, I'd never taken geometry. And so that was really, really confusing. So that was a negative impact. For a long time, I, I carried the belief that all of my issues, whether it was depression, anxiety, OCD, negative relationships, all of that was a result of what I was putting into the relationship or putting into life. And I would say that's a very harmful belief to have. I think that you can make many changes in your life, but things like depression and anxiety aren't always your fault. You can enable them and have them last longer than they necessarily might, but they're not your fault. And the way you change in a relationship doesn't necessarily dictate how the other person will act. And so that was a negative belief that I had from um, working with a therapist at therapeutic boarding school. And so that was something that I had to work through and kind of accept. But yeah, I would say those are the main kind of lasting impacts of therapeutic boarding school. So those are all the questions that I have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this solo episode. As always, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at, at she persisted podcast and let me know what else you guys want to see. If you like these Q&As, let me know. I'll do more. If not, we'll bring back the interviews, whatever you guys want i'm here to deliver so yeah thank you for listening and i'll see you next friday if you enjoyed this week's episode of nevertheless she persisted please leave a review on apple podcasts and share with your friends and family to stay updated on new episodes dropping and bonus content follow nevertheless she persisted on social media instagram at she persisted podcast twitter at persist podcast facebook at nevertheless she persisted podcast with sadie Sutton. And check out my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. And don't worry, all of these are linked in today's episode notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next Friday.